Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. Everybody, this episode of Working Dog Radio is brought to you in part by our friends at Ray Allen Manufacturing. Everything you need for dogs, whether it's working dogs, pet dogs, sport, anything, rayallen.com, the best in the business. Uh, check them out. We got a discount code, Working Dog Radio, for 10% off. Another one of our favorite partnerships is with the one and only Dog Train. These guys are producing some amazing tools in the dog training world. Everything from e-collars, GPS tracking, ball training, it was electronics, and it goes on dogs. Go to Dogtra. They're revolutionizing the way you communicate with your dog. Hit them up at dogtra.com. Use the discount code WDR10 for 10% off a single item over 200 bucks. The biggest and baddest conference in canine anywhere in the United States is HITS. Every year, each and every year, hundreds and hundreds of vendors, thousands of attendees, the best instructors around. It got moved because of COVID. Um, it's going to be July 7th through the 9th in 2021. Check it out. Hits, letter K number nine dot net to get signed up. You can't go wrong. Hits K nine dot net. Let's see you there next year. Yeah. Speaking of some guys that are going to be there next year, the kinetic dog food guys, fueling a working dog can be tough, but they need high quality food to give them the energy and the nutrients that require they, that they require for the work that we ask them to do. Kinetic dog food is a great balance of healthy meats and grains and is specifically made for working and sporting dogs. Be sure to hit them up at kineticdogfood.com. Easily, hands down, the best product we've ever represented on this podcast is Quick Derm by Vet Care. Ted and I use it in the kennel on our dogs when they get goofy injuries and ourselves when we also get goofy in injuries. They have a discount code for us. 10WDR for 10% off your first order. Check them out at vetcare.us. All right, guys, Working Dog Radio. We are back broadcasting the bite in HD uh, video and audio um, video on YouTube. If you haven't checked it out yet, please go to our YouTube channel, Working Dog Radio, and subscribe. Uh, I think here on out, unless our guest lives in the middle of nowhere with a flip phone, we are probably going to have people on <coughs> Zoom. Uh, going mm -hmm. forward, uh, it'll come out still commercial free on Patreon the day before, which yep. worked out pretty well last time, I think. Um, yeah. Anyways, with me always is that guy right there mm -hmm. with the big beard, Ted. Ted, how are you, buddy? Doing well. Doing well. It's the day after Thanksgiving. It is Black Friday, and I did what I normally do, which is stay away from crowds anyway, and just went to work and worked in the kennel today. I had to take me a too. dog to the vet. Uh, to we get we're thinking about buying his dog and I got to make sure he's got both teeth or all of his teeth and both nuts and he's got his hips aren't jacked up and at any rate he wasn't having it he was not having the x-ray so we gave him a little nappy nap and uh <laughs> got his films done he was not happy uh so yeah we just worked dogs all day um nothing spectacular I mean I cooked a turkey yesterday. We cooked a big ass piece of Wagyu, A5 Wagyu. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I didn't do a whole lot. <laughs> so I, I spent a lot of money today. A lot. You went shopping. Traded my truck in on a van. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you did. Went back to the transit. Um, you know, I had a transit van before. I really liked it. it. It worked real well for the dog business, but it was rear wheel drive. And uh, in Ohio in the winter, I'm like, I am going to get killed for sure. The day I traded that van and I was sideways going down a hill in it, I was like straight to the dealership. Um, 
and then uh like the first so the truck was that. cool man everybody yeah. liked my truck with the wrap on it and all that other stuff uh i it made me no money the wrap I, I don't think i got any clients from it from the pet side um but uh i just gave up too much space storage space and you know had to buy a trailer to make up for it so i could trailer dogs around the problem was the summer trailer was hot as shit man so yes. it was always a whole ordeal. So back to a van we go. Um, I went from a pretty sweet truck driver to a bus driver, basically. The thing is huge. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so tonight, uh, I've got a friend of mine on. Uh, he's from Oklahoma. Uh, his name's Anthony Moore. He's a senior agent with the Oklahoma Bureau of Narcotics. Um, he was uh, started in Obion, I think, 2012. Um, he serves in the Special Operations Division as a member of the K-9 Interdiction Team. He's a nationally certified canine trainer in areas of scent detection, apprehension tracking, and serves as the OBN's head canine trainer. Uh, he's an advanced instructor for CLEAT, uh, which is our version of POST for Oklahoma or wherever, whatever state you're at, but it's uh, Oklahoma Certifying Authority for Law Enforcement. He's a member of the CLEAT Canine Advisory Board, which are the guys that set the rules for all of us that have to deal with the stuff here in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, he's a recognized expert in canine interdiction, canine law, uh, and his extensive courtroom experience testifying in major interdiction and drug smuggling cases in state and federal level. Uh, he's got multiple awards from the OBN, the Agent of the Year, um, Narcotics Agent of the Year, uh, Canine Team of the Year, several long-range precision shooting team uh, uh, awards, and then multiple recognitions from the DEA, HSI, and multiple other three-letter agencies. And before he was a, an OBN agent. He was a champion rodeo cowboy and was a world champion bullfighter, which is probably why he's a pretty good decoy too. <laughs> so, um, you know, during that time, he continually trained animals for rodeo and entertainment industries. So it was kind of, I guess, a natural progression to handle a dog. So with that, Anthony, what's up, man? Hey, man. Everything's good. How about you guys? Rock and rolling. We're just... Same old, same old, getting our stuff done here at the, uh, here in Tulsa and over in uh, Canton. So yeah, it's glad to have you on. We, uh, we wanted to have you on and we talked about it, I don't know, like four or five months ago and something, I think COVID happened, who knows? I'm blaming the COVID on everything. So um, yeah, uh, kind of give us a little bit of background how we got to the OBN and then how we got into the canine groove. Well, uh, you know, like you said, I, I rodeoed for a living for, you know, over 20 years. And basically, uh, all the guys that I went to college with and all my other friends from outside the rodeo business were either troopers or, uh, you know, sheriff's deputies somewhere. And I was talking to a buddy of mine that was with uh, DEA. It was getting to that twilight time of a bullfighter's career, I guess you would say, where uh, I was getting I was getting to the age where I was getting hurt a lot in that field. So it seemed pretty cool to go be a cop and... Uh, I applied with OHP and OBN and uh, bam, OBN called a couple hours before OHP called. And I ended up in Oklahoma City working diversion in, uh, right off the bat doing uh, uh, inter interviewing doctors, investigating doctor shoppers, that stuff. And then I got moved over to enforcement doing undercover stuff. Uh, the first time I ever saw canine, well the interdiction part was at a conference and I saw it one time on a video they were doing, one of those loud rock and roll videos with all the cool pictures up there. And I'm like, yeah, that's it right there. And that's really honestly how I ended up <laughs> like, yeah, that's one. Yeah, they focused that marketing right on you. Oh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. 
Yeah, that's one of those you see. A, if you if you would have saw the Navy SEAL video, you might have left and went and did that shit. It's just oh, I'm that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm the guy that will just uh, if it looks cool, I typically jump right in the middle of it. Right. So twenty over twenty or twenty plus years in the rodeo that seems like a lot. It was that unusual or is that a long term deal with the people? It's well, that's a pretty long time. Uh, I was fortunate. Uh, it was. I, you know, I get asked that question sometimes how long I lasted because I always traveled with guys that were way younger than me. You know, once I hit my mid twenties, I was traveling guys that were like 21. And then when I hit my thirties, I was traveling with these 20 year olds. When the last couple of years that I was going, I was traveling with these kids that couldn't even buy a beer in the bar, you know, but it kept me hustling, kept me going. And, uh, it was one of those things that was just, that's my whole family. You know, that's what we come from. So it was just part of life. How do you two know each other? The first time we met was, was over in Arkansas at a deal, I think. Yeah. With, uh, Clay, Clay, Clay Smith, yeah. with Clay Smith, uh, oh. his PSA group had it. Cause he's a canine handler and Con- I'm going to screw this up. Conway, Arkansas. If I, if I remember. Conway. That. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> he runs a PSA club and I was over there decoying and there was like a one day trial, I think. And then we did like a little decoy thing the day before the day after I had that big ass Malinois with me Spartan that went to another department over there in Jacksonville. That one that was just fucking hurting people. They're like, Holy shit. And I got him out of the car and they're like, Oh man. Uh, so yeah, yeah, that's how we, that's, that's how we ended up meeting. Um, so one of the things that, um, is interesting because, you know, it comes up a lot in conversations um, is the certification stuff in Oklahoma. And I say this a lot on the podcast, like we have a mandatory state certification here for um, detection. Um, there are only, I think 11 States that require um, certification. So like Kansas, Texas, Louisiana, all places we have dogs and they're like, I mean, Louisiana, you can show up and pick up a dog at the pound and right. Can on the side of the car, with the Sharpie and you're good to go. Um, yeah. So you know, it, there has been um, a renewed uh, kind of sense of urgency for some of that stuff. Um, and there's now, um, there's been a talk about a national certification that's mandated. And then, you know, there's been state level talks of some of their certification changes. So talk a little bit about um, the background of how we got where we are in Oklahoma, and then kind of the importance of that in the overall grand scheme of things. Well, you know, the, the certification here in Oklahoma, if, you, if you're familiar with uh, the swig dog standards, uh, it's just almost word for word when you look at that for their narcotics detection dogs. And it was put into place years and years ago. Since we've been on the board, or since I've been on the board, there's been a constant progression forward of trying to introduce new language to make the standards better. And when I say better, uh, you know, when we're talking about standards, you're always talking about that, the minimum standards is what they have to pass. What we're wanting to do is make our minimum standard not so minimum as what it is right now, if that makes sense. I mean, right now, I feel like personally, and no, this isn't a punch at cleat or anything, because I do understand that we we're kind of a slave to the system when it comes to being a government entity. Uh, you have to do things a certain way, and there's always those roadblocks, but I feel like our certification is a little too weak. And what we're wanting to do is we're actually wanting to, right now, there's we're trying to introduce language that's moving it more towards a Utah post type of system right. than what we have now. 
Yeah, we were just up there uh, last month. We're up in Salt Lake City training with all those boys up there at HRD. But um, yeah, Wendell Nova's done a fantastic job up there. That whole, that, that, um, the Utah Post is kind of the, not unofficially, or I guess unofficially is kind of like the gold standard in terms of um, yeah. detection certification stuff. And I mean, if we had to pick one, like that's the one that I would, that I tell people all the time too. So, um, but it is definitely uh, much more encompassing, which is kind of interesting, even though they have that, it's not mandatory there, which. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. Yeah. There was a big deal. So when we start talking about that Jordan case, the one that, re that recently came out, um, the fallout from that in the public's view was that, well, these dogs are not certified, which is not true. These dogs are, uh, most of those teams, I don't, Eric, do you remember if any of those guys were not certified? I don't even remember. I, I uh, that I, we just were at in Utah. Yeah. They all, no, all were, of them, every, yeah, every they, one of them. I don't think, I don't know of anybody up there that operates that doesn't just go ahead and do that. Oh, there's somebody that, I guarantee well, I didn't some podunk I, dude. Well, I don't know them. <laughs> cause, cause his dog won't out. He's like, you know, you don't have to, this isn't mandatory. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, there's been that kind of renewed sense of, um, of urgency with uh, that. And then after Florida versus Harris to placing the huge importance on certification stand and standards. So um, before I talk about the standards, talk about like the fallout from that U.S. versus Jordan case. And first of all, I just want to point out to you that it's a district level because we're in the 10th circuit. Anthony and I are in the 10th circuit here. It's part of our, I mean, it's in our circuit. It's not where Eric is, um, but it wasn't an appellate level case. It was just some district judge um, in Salt Lake City. But Anthony, talk a little bit about that one. Well, the, you know, the, the big fallout, I think that, you know, the, the sky is falling thing that, that happened right after it from the guys that I talked to was comes down to the single blind, double blind, uh, having that in your certification. You know, we do a, a, a single blind. Uh, now, granted, let me back up just a couple steps. Uh, the lady that they used for their defense expert, uh, Mary, I thought she did a phenomenal job at going at the certification process, not so much the team team as people. And to me, when, when a defense expert does that, uh, whether it's a jury trial or whatever, they're a little more likable. They're, they're not coming down on the dog. They're not coming down on the, the law enforcement officer. They're coming down on the quote unquote government or the system, I guess you could say. And it makes it a little easier for people to swallow and, you know, we all know that double blind, single blind, we do train with the double blind probably once a quarter, uh, but it's so hard to do that and keep young dogs going and young handlers going the way they're supposed to. Uh, other than that, pretty much everything we do when it comes to how we're judged out there in the field, uh, as far as uh, case law goes, you know, we're, we're judged based on uh training and certification so as long as we train that way that's great but i think where people miss the boat sometimes is every time you get that dog out on a real deployment that's what you're doing anyway your trainer's not there nobody's there that knows anything about that situation except maybe the the potential bad guy and i think that maybe some states and some people jumped the gun on it a little bit you know they went to going a, a little too too heavy as far as their uh wanting to change things too quick. I am not a proponent of a 100% double blind system. I think that when you do that, you're asking for trouble. 
we just we just train on it every once in a while to have it in our records and to make sure that our dogs aren't focusing on my smell or the smell of whoever else is helping me for a while. There's several different things about it that can go bad at any other time. Any other, I, I was thinking about it the other day, any, any other scientific test, double blinds are great. Right. Just with the way we work, they're not. Right, yeah. The thing about double blinds is, and um, I guess the true way to do it is, so the person who sets out the, the odor is not the evaluator, the evaluator's not in there. You would run every single dog through and then go back through and go you passed you passed you failed you passed you failed that would be but that's not how they do it they come back out they grade the first guy then it's no longer a double blind right you know what i mean then then it's then then it's back to the way it is so in ohio and i'll, I'll actually I'll, I'll say this afterwards i had a question for you something you said, what would you do? Where are you, where is Oklahoma weak? What would you switch to or change more towards Utah or strengthen it? Oh man. Uh, that's a trick question. <laughs> There's, uh, I, know, I, know I think the biggest saying. thing is Oklahoma, we, we've gotten into a habit of we go and we do uh, four, four cars and a few blanks and we're done. And here you go. Here's your certificate. You're a, you're officially a, a canine officer or a canine team, I should say. And that's not the way real life works. That's not how we're deployed. We're deployed in so many different situations that I feel like it should be mandatory. There should be a field search. There should be open air. There should be a uh, search inside of rooms. Uh, of course, vehicles also. But, you know, even the DOC guys, it's so weird because most of their stuff happens inside. And it's all jail cells and office type uh, situations. And I can always, you don't even have to tell me that a dog has been a DOC dog. I can watch it work and I can pretty much tell you it's going to, it's a DOC dog. They're not as confident with vehicles. Same thing. You take a pure interdiction dog that just does nothing, but just crams on vehicles every day, put them in that DOC room and they're not going to have the confidence that uh, they should. And I think that's one of the big things is everybody wants to train to that certification instead of training for what you're going to see out there in real life. And uh, HRD, now granted this is on the apprehension side, but <clears throat> that's one thing that we talk about a lot is that what guys are certified to do versus what they're asked to do on a daily basis are not the same thing. And um, I don't necessarily, especially on the apprehension side of stuff, I don't necessarily think that there needs to be a, like a, an upending of all standards or certifications in general. But I do, and I've argued, and I think Eric has too, for years, that if you're going to make, like, if we had to make one mandatory, like, exercise for certifying uh, for apprehension dogs, it would be vehicle extractions um, or something around that. And uh, that's one where we see a ton of issues, and there's so many skill sets that are involved in that. But, um, you know, we started, I mentioned um, the Harris case. And if you go back and read one of the concurring opinions um, from Sotomayor, she says, you know, in that, opinion, she's like, you know, the defendant has the right to question whether the standard um, is adequate enough to be able to predict the success of the team in the field. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Um, I'm sure it was written much more eloquently, but that is um, what she and what uh, kind of what has ended up happening moving forward with that case is when that happened, I remember when that happened, I thought, holy shit, this is the best thing that's ever happened. We don't have to worry about fucking false 
false positives anymore. You don't have to worry about hit percentages. You don't have to worry about any of that shit anymore. As long as you're certified by a bona fide third party and you keep records and doing everything correct, like you're good to go. Well, part of form, there was un- <laughs> unforeseen, unforeseen shit happen. And uh, so, yeah. And um, one thing that Oklahoma doesn't have um, is a um, apprehension standard. We do not have a patrol standard. Right. Um, Anthony have kind of, and I have kind of gone back and forth um, in text and phone calls and stuff about it. But um, do you think that we should have one? Uh, yeah, I do. I, I do. And, you know, when I talk to some of the uh, older handlers that's been around for a long time, uh, when I first got in the game, you know, that was some of the questions that I had. There's been times where it's been introduced. Uh, the, the big pushback has always been uh, on the, a civil side is if if Cleet or Oklahoma wants to put a certification on a bite dog, what happens to them on the other side of it if things go bad? But my thing is what happens if they, you know, right now it's just, it's right. kind of to not have it. It's funny that you say something about it because that's something that you and I had talked about in the past and it's something I've been working on here quite a bit. Uh, that's one of those things that we're looking at reintroducing and I'm working on the language for it right now is trying to get it pushed into at least to the council level where they will let us come and have a sit down with them and talk about it. I don't think it's a bad idea. Um, I think by and large, you know, we see a lot of teams in the state um, in states that are kind of like Oklahoma. Um, you have a vast um I don't know the best way to say it. There's kind of like a very vast experience pool and a very vast, um, you know, what I would consider a quality pool. So um, versus a state like, uh, say, Florida or Massachusetts, where, you know, Florida has um, a mandatory certification for, or it's it's suggested for, um, from the FDLE for apprehension, but not for detection. And they have to go through, I don't don't remember what it's like, 640 hours of school. And then Massachusetts has um, a very similar one. You have to get the dog from an approved facility by the state. Uh, And it's another, it's a long ass school too. And it's run, I don't know, like three or four schools. Of course, Massachusetts is not a very big state geographically. But but what we see is that typically like when we're down there, um, those states or states like that have a very, very narrow, um, most of those handlers are all squared away um, in just about everything they do. Um, the difference between like very inexperienced handlers and very experienced handlers is a very small gap, um, versus states like even like Texas, for example, like I've seen teams from Texas and I'm like, what in the fuck are you doing? And then I've seen guys from Texas, like, damn, like these dudes are squared away. So, uh, I don't really see that in Florida and in, um, mass and some other states too, are like that. Um, like we were in Utah. I mean, those dudes are all squared away. I mean, that was one of the best groups that we had. So, I mean, they were for sure. The thing about you know, the the thing that real quick that that shocks me that Oklahoma doesn't have patrol standards, uh, you know, certification, is because so like ninety nine percent of the federal federal actual criminal cases that go to appellate level or go to the Supreme Court are narcotics detection related. Yep. However, if you're going to get sued, it's going to be for the bite, not for oh, yeah. narcotic searches, especially as we go forward. And in, in, in some places, narcotics becomes a lower priority. So I'm, I'm always surprised by that. Um, Ohio has, we have everything. Um, Ohio's standards are kind of almost like um, a morphing of USPCA and NAPWADA a lot. 
Um, I wish they would change in Ohio the um, in the patrol gunfire. Uh, they teach aggression to gunfire. So the decoy fires off a round. They send the dog. And when the dog's about halfway there, he fires off another round. The dog has to engage. I would rather see them teach uh, their certification be uh, like a, a false start with gunfire where the decoy fires or the, or the handler fires and the dog just has to sit there. I would rather see that because I'm not worried about a dog going down and biting the, the guy with gunfire. I'm worried about him nuking the handler with the uh, gunfire. And then um, our detection is, is pretty, you know, you have, here's something weird about, you can tell you how old, old the standards were set. So in Ohio, if you're doing, say, say you're doing marijuana, so you have, it's an easy number, you have four, four odors, you have to do three hides per odor mixed between vehicles and uh, rooms, in, indoors, in rooms. However, there's seven odors for explosives, and you only have to do each odor once mixed between vehicles. So you have 12 hides for um, the narcotics. But the most important thing, in my opinion, anymore is turning into explosive detection. And you only have to find each one of those odors once. And it's a, you run all the hides and then call which one is the hot one. Um, it's, it's just, that part's running really differently. I think that will probably change as, you know, as, as ex more, uh, homegrown explosives and homegrown terrorism keeps happening. But, um, but anyway, sorry, my dog just came up here and she's like pushing on me can bounce my camera. On. Um, <laughs> so um, I know because you're at o Oklahoma Bureau of Narcotics is, is what you guys do prior to getting into the dog side. Were you a, a dude in a, in a, in a chase car, a watch car with the, with the phone and the, all that before you got into that? Uh, no, no, actually, uh, for a little bit, uh, I was rolling around in a collared shirt tie going in and talking to doctors quite a bit about how many pills they were prescribing. And then for a, a good while, uh, I rolled around. It's funny. I rolled around on a Harley Davidson with a big, long goatee, completely bald and was, you know, the narc quote unquote, mm -hmm. uh, and tried to, to buy and sell all the drugs that I could. Uh, and then when I got into this, of course, there's six of us in, our, in the Bureau of Narcotics that does interdiction. And when you're in uniform, you have to be clean cut, no beard, no mustache. Yeah. Did they don't do no shave November at OBN? <laughs> we, yeah. Well, uh, every <laughs> once in a while, one of my previous supervisors, we would try that. But I think like me and him were the only ones that could grow a mustache in any amount of time. Everybody else it was real spotted. It, it was bad. I have no comment. I can't. <laughs> Baby, baby face. <laughs> so Ted, you had some questions about interdiction. So, yeah, um, <clears throat> we haven't really talked a lot about it here, but I mean, you're pretty much because most of the guys that handle that listen to this, uh, they're every well, a vast majority of canine handlers in the United States are, um, <clears throat> if they're single purpose narcotics, um, a lot of them are assigned to cities or they're or like sheriff's office or whatever it is. Um, you're at a state level agency. And like your day-to-day-to-day -to -day -to -day job is jamming cars and trucks. And um, so talk a little bit about um, what the interdiction side looks like versus being like a normal patrol handle with a single purpose dog. Well, <clears throat> I guess the, the first word that comes to mind uh, that I think probably 
gets most people is, and it's not in a bad way, it's monotony. Right. You're out there and you're hammering, you have a certain purpose. Uh, you're out there getting after it every day. And you have to remember that's the same thing your dog's going through too. So uh, that's one of the reasons it's no secret. People that know me, I like super, super over the top high drive dogs. Because the, to me, that's what it takes to make it up on, on the interstate because they see the same picture a lot. That's the other reason why during our training days, we do stuff completely opposite of what we're doing out there on the road because of what they are dogs and we see so much. You know, we don't shag calls a lot. Uh, if we do, it's usually for another, uh, maybe a three-letter agency, uh, every great once in a while. And then uh, for OHP, we might run out for them. But of course, they have their own SO group. But for the most part, you know, we're uh, just rely on our, you know, sometimes uh, according to how the stop's going, there's been times where I've been hung out there all by myself where nobody's close and you're going to have to make that decision to detain or not detain and run your dog. Uh, there's times where our partners can get there right when we make a stop and, you know, we can work it that way. So I guess the biggest difference is you're out there on your own most of the time uh you're not going to have a supervisor and a whole lot of people to call so when it comes time to roll into that interdiction group uh i think right there is probably what makes the big difference in your training and not just with your canine training but knowing law knowing how it works for you and how sometimes it doesn't work for you uh that's probably the biggest difference on top of that we own our own cases most of the time if you're shagging calls for city or county you're going to roll in there, run your dog, and it's not per se your case. Whereas with ours, it belongs to me and my dog. So <clears throat> I went years ago when, um, before I was a canine handler, um, I was just a patrol guy working the streets. Um, I was in, in the dope, dope unit and everything. I went to, I think, three highway interdiction courses. Uh, one put on by some guys from Florida, which for those guys, it's shooting fish is dynamite fishing. You know what I mean? Like a bucket full of fish and just throw a M80 in there. It's, it's crazy. They were, I mean, they were good. They knew what to look for and everything like that. In Ohio, I went through a class put on, I think I went twice by a guy named Sean Smart. He was an Ohio State Highway Patrolman, very successful um, at a highway interdiction. Um, so we, a whole bunch of us went through, we had a federal grant for it. Um, in our city, we have uh, uh, I-77 that runs through the city, a couple smaller east and west, but 77 is north and south. And the city I worked in in Canton is a drug infested shithole. Like when I worked in the narcotics unit, we did a big federal case that got in the end, the day they busted the guy, he had like 30 kilos of cocaine and three and a half million, four million dollars. That was all for the city of Canton. And there's only 79,000 people. So those 30 kilos were not going to leave the city. But those of us who worked the interstate for the, you know, on overtime during the thing for the highway detection had zero success. Why, why do you think, what were we, what are some of the key things? Like, I mean, we all went through the school. We knew it. We knew what we were going to do. I think one of the biggest problems is on 77 there, there's was only one turnaround that may have been part of it. Um, there was only one place to sit, but um, we just know. I caught some some uh, illegals with fake documents. That's all I ever got out of there. I think there's probably a couple of reasons. One, when you're 
if you have a, a smaller stretch of highway like that and you're kind of set to that stretch, uh, I don't know how long it was, but uh, let's say it's just a, let's say it's a 10 mile stretch of road there. Uh, like for us, we have statewide authorities so we can go wherever we want. We all know based off of how uh, the dope game works, once an uh, area of the highway gets hot, and I'll use I-40, when I-40 gets hot, we know they start jumping down on the little farm and market roads like north of us is 412, they'll go south, come up 75 and around us. Whatever they start that, we just jump down there and work for a little while. I think that's probably some of it is once they get to knowing that there is a group of guys out there and they're going to have to run that gauntlet, there's ways around you that you have no control over sometimes. On top of that, it's a time thing. I think one of the biggest mistakes that, and I don't, I'm not saying that your uh, agency did this, but one of the big mistakes that I see with agencies, they put a group together, stick them out there to do interdiction, and they don't give them the time to get the rhythm of the road and to figure out what's normal and what's not sometimes. Uh, interdiction, it's a, just such a different game because the bad guy that you're looking for is not your typical local thug. He's not your gangbanger. We do see those every once in a while, but for the most part, the guys that you run into out there are professionals. They're bringing it in by large amounts. They've done it before. They don't have a big issue with being around law enforcement. Uh, they know how to talk. They know how to play the game. I think that's the two biggest things is time and where your boundaries are. Yeah, we're definitely, definitely um, confined. And like you said, we, we couldn't jump to another highway. We, we have two smaller ones to look at route 30 which does go all the way over to indiana um and then over into pennsylvania but they were at the time east and west and probably still is is using the turnpike and some of the the other major roads coming through there you know we were doing these in four hour blocks on on the with this federal grant money you know or yeah. um so that That's was a little tough. rough and it's funny because highway patrol never worked north and south on 77 because they said it, it, they didn't really get much of it there but now there's a group that works down on the highway about an hour south of us, murdering it, absolutely sure. slaughtering it, mostly methamphetamine, which is funny because an hour north in Canton, we have no meth, none. It's still crack. It's still oh, another wow. one. There. Wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. it's funny you think Canton because uh, in the past several years, last year, there was two or three uh, large uh, money loads I got on 40 that were originated in Canton. Uh which I, I thought that it was a bigger town than that for some reason. Yeah. It's, it's been there several times. It's a shithole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it used to be when I got on the department, there was probably a hundred thousand people. It's in the seventies now, you know, oh, wow. just everybody moving out. So, so I'm going to do one more question before we take a break for a second. Um, so there's a case that's out there that um, I'm still shocked that a lot of guys haven't heard, or if they have heard about it, <clears throat> they, they don't understand the ramifications, the implications of it. So it's the Rodriguez case. Um, there was a trooper in Oklahoma that had a case published a couple of months ago that, that was a Rodriguez violation. Um, so talk a little bit about what that is and what we should take from that. And then after that, we're going to do a break. And we'll be back. Well, you know, the, the Rodriguez deal, you were talking about detention, you know, right. and, I think where the big misconception is, is there's a, and you know, we teach a lot of classes there at OB and as far as legalities and, and how you have to be able to work your dog in these, in these stops. 
I think the big misconception is detention happens at the end of the stop. And it's always that detention can happen before, during, after, as soon as we turn on the lights at any time from then till, till at the very end of the stop, it can happen at any time when you deviate from the normal portion. So the big thing to me with Rodriguez is I felt again, like that was a, a big sky is falling deal because I've never been the type of guy that thought, well, I'm just going to jump my dog out on something for no reason, or uh, I'm not going to move forward with a search or asking for consent or a detention or anything like that, unless I have reasonable suspicion that I know I can look a judge or a jury in the face and tell them uh, this is exactly why I held this person, or this is exactly why uh, I decided to detain to run my dog when he uh, denied consent. The thing about Rodriguez, they never put a time limit on it. It just said what it was. You know, you have to have reasonable suspicion. I think that's where people get hinked up as they start thinking about time. I know that there was a time in it, it was like seven minutes or something yeah, like that. It, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that's and, how long the detention was, I think. And there was kind of a, there was a case that was published in Georgia. That's over on the East Coast. Uh, it's U.S. versus Campbell, um, which I think took that to its illogical conclusion where uh, oh, the 20 even, seconds. And yeah. yes, it was 25 seconds or 20, something stupid. Yeah. Um, and they deemed that it had nothing to do with the dog. I mean, literally, the trooper had him sitting in the front seat of the car. They stopped him for an equipment violation and a fog line or a fog line violation. Mm -hmm. And he asked him, I don't even remember what the line of questioning was, but he's sitting there like waiting for uh waiting for something to come back and he says hey is there anything in the car that shouldn't like it's kind of like going off and they deemed yeah. that 26 seconds as an unreasonable extension of the stop yeah he asked him about uh, uh bootleg cds that's uh, what it was. stuff like that because it was going back to atlanta uh, which that stretch of highway that they work that's big you know they get semi loads of that stuff going that way uh but yeah 24 25 seconds and they call it a, a detention which yeah. is crazy that that I is definitely an illogical conclusion to Rodriguez. So yeah, and that happened right in the. It was the forward third of the stop whenever that went down. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I think when they searched the car, they ended up having a firearm, and they it was a, yeah uh, firearm. Yeah. He had a mask. Yeah. Well, he had a ski mask yeah. and a firearm because he yeah. was doing. Now things. everybody does. So. Well. <laughs> yeah. Damn it. Yeah, I've got my mask allowed. <laughs> <laughs> now, now if we don't have one, that's, then it's in trouble. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, we're going to do talk about some stories. We're going to talk about a drug that I didn't even know existed. Uh, and Anthony, I think, has the largest find of that in the country. So um, crazy shit. So, uh, yeah, we'll be back in just a second. Everybody hang out. All right, guys. One of our best sponsors, one of our oldest sponsors, are the Perkinsons down in Harmony, North Carolina at Highland Canine. We have a ton of people going down there for their handler schools, their trainer schools, their full-on um, dog training schools where you learn police dogs, pet dogs, all aspects of it. They have amazing dogs for sale, classes for police, classes for police supervisors, pretty much a full gamut of anything you need in the dog world. Highland Canine definitely is the place to go check it out. Uh, there, I, I can't tell you enough about how great these people are. Everybody I know that's been there for their training say it is no joke. Um, check them out. Tactical police canine training.com. Get your butt down there, North Carolina, man, and learn. 
Speaking of full service, it's no secret that we love the guys up in Colorado Springs at Ray Allen Canine Equipment. We use their products every single day. Their mission statement says it all, to be a world leader in the quality and innovation of professional canine equipment for police, military, Schutzen, ring sport to exceed our customers' expectations to deliver on time every time at a fair price. We full-heartedly believe that they, have, that they are true to that statement since it's our go-to one-stop shop for everything canine. They literally have everything there except the damn dog. You can get in the car, but they have inserts, they have hot poppers, they have e-collars, they have leashes, they have regular collars, harnesses, they have muzzles, they have some of the working dog draggers muzzles that end up starting their life in my living room. So be sure to check them out, rayallen.com, and use the discount code WORKINGDOGRADIO written all the way out for 10% off. We really are so lucky and happy to be partners with uh, the guys down at Kinetic Dog Food. Um, the stuff that those guys are doing, man, it, it's so good. The ingredients that they have, we had them on a podcast. Uh, it was eye-opening. Listen to them talk about, uh, the goofy stuff that goes into dog foods and, and in the business, they are honest. They are great people, kinetic dog food. Um, they will drop ship you a pallet. If that's your thing, if you've got that many dogs, they'll drop ship you a pallet anywhere you need it kineticdogfood.com best in in the industry and uh, definitely a personal favorite of working dog radio kineticdogfood.com yeah and if you're out on the east side of the country uh be sure to hit up southern coast canine they're a reputable canine kennel that does dog sales and training services located in sunny new smyrna florida southern coast canine provides services worldwide from purchasing your next single or dual purpose working dog to handler courses and seminars Southern Coast is a great resource to check them out. You know, the Heisers run a great ship down there, and obviously the weather's nice. So if you live in a part of the country where it sucks half the time, your weather-wise, that's where you go in the wintertime. That's where you get your admins, send them down, get, you them, get them to send you down there in, in the wintertime when it's nice and sunny. Uh, they do a fantastic job with trainers courses, decoy schools, uh, and handler courses for green dogs and finished dogs and retreads too. So be sure to hit them up at Southern Coast Canine. That's letter K number nine dot com and get scheduled or go find you a dog. Dogtra. Uh, we post on our social media all the time, Ted and I using Dogtra. Uh, I, I love everything about them. Uh, I think the Dogtra 1900S is the gold standard for police canine. Um, it is a perfect collar. The remote size is perfect. Um, you got that you can do the um, hands-free device if you want. Uh, their ball popper, their Dogtra YS 600 bark collar. I've got a drawer full of those at the kennel. Um, I want my place nice and quiet. The uh, bark collars solve a lot of the thrashing in cars. If you got that dog that spins up at training in the back of the car, get yourself a Dogtra YS 600 collar. One of our biggest sponsors, one of our biggest friends, big supporters of the podcast, dogtra.com. Uh, they do have a discount code too for us is WDR10 for 10% off a single item over $200. Don't mess around. Don't wait. Dogtra.com. All right. Uh, we are back uh, with Anthony Moore uh, from the Oklahoma Bureau of Narcotics. Um, so before we left, I kind of mentioned that um, you had a stop that was kind of notable. Uh, because of what you found, which is, I mean, I've never heard of it um, until like in between, well, during the break, we were talking about it a little bit. Uh, and, you know, they mentioned it, like you said, in the movie Black Hawk Down, there's a line where they say it. But talk about that stop and like what the whole like ramifications and how far reaching that went. 
Well, uh, basically, to start at the very first of it, cot is it's a natural growing plant uh, in the that eastern Africa, Somalia area. Uh, when you pick it fresh, they can make tea out of it, chew on the end of it, and it's an amphetamine, uh, a very strong amphetamine. Uh, and here in the United States, it's a Schedule Four because of the ketamine that's in it. But the problem with getting it out uh, to other countries for so long, I think what kept them handicapped with moving it around and making money was you had to get it fresh. Uh, they figured out a way to flash freeze it. And then here it comes going into, you know, they get a lot of it in France and Australia now. So that day uh, it was, I'd say, I hate to say this, but the typical interdiction stop, uh, guy was in a minivan headed back west. And the whole story that he told me didn't make sense. He was running about 80 and a 70. And there's a, when the, when you read about this thing in the paper, it was, there's, they say something about, I never run the dog on the car. For some reason, they said that my dog alerted to this cop, which I, the dog never got out of the vehicle, but uh, basically asked for consent to search. He said yes. And in a compartment, a uh, hidden compartment underneath the, uh, the dog box, or I guess the middle portion there, what you would call the van, uh, there was uh, this plant caught. And it was in the freeze, uh, the flash frozen portion where when you pull it out, it almost looked like potpourri, something your girlfriend or your wife would you know, put in your living room and make it smell good. And with everything that was going on with him and finding this, we knew it was more than that. Of course, it's not going to test. At that point, what do we, at that point, we didn't have, without being a test to see what it was, there's nothing illegal about putting something not illegal hidden in your van. Uh, so... I got all of his uh, identifiers and we trucked him on out of there. Now, the key to this one here, and I don't think he gets enough credit, is one of our analysts, Joel. He is a superstar on that computer. And I called him, told him what we'd run into. And before this guy got back to Amarillo, uh, he had already figured out uh, exactly who he was, who he was tied to. And within 24 hours, uh, the FBI and Homeland Security had uh, flown into Amarillo, arrested him and five other cohorts of his that they'd been looking for for four or five years. Their whole scheme was they were bringing cot into the United States, selling it and funneling money back to uh, Yemen and that area for the terrorist group El Shabaab. That's crazy, man. And in, in Oklahoma, people don't even think about that. You know, you think uh, if you're going to get Al Shabaab folks, it's going to be, you know, in Boston, New York, probably out in California, some places like that. Um, how, are there other incidents of terrorist guys that you come across? Yeah, uh, there was the one that the one that I think sticks out the most. Now, the cop was pretty cool because that was the first time I'd ever seen it, too. I'd heard about it, but didn't know, had never seen it. Uh, this was right after that, maybe a couple of months. I'd stopped a eastbound. It was a little old piece of crap Toyota pickup that looked like it was going to fall apart at any moment. Uh, older man driving, younger guy on the passenger side. And when I walked up to make my first approach, as I'm talking to them, the younger guy, of course, isn't saying a thing. He's looking straight forward, uh, wanting to even acknowledge I'm there. What I did notice while I'm talking to the driver, I just happened to look down and he has got, looked like a, you know, those little homemade bracelets that, that uh, you can get at stores. It'll be rough on the ends, like you've made it yourself. And it had an insignia that when I was walking back to my vehicle, I was like, wait a minute, that, that couldn't have been, that's not what I thought, I think it is. 
So I got back uh, talking to the older gentleman because in Oklahoma, how we work, everybody, the driver comes back and sets with us while we do our uh, warning or, or a ticket. And then it hit me. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what I thought it was. So as I made my way back up there to talk to the passenger, got to talking to him. He was, uh, he was French Canadian uh, speaking, I should say, uh, had his passport, all that kind of stuff. At the end of the day, once it all shook out, uh, the FBI and Homeland Security had been looking for him for about five years. Uh, he was died in the wool ISIS and they thought he was in Canada. He'd got out of there. Uh, he'd escaped from them up there somehow worked his way down to the southwest border and come up through Mexico and was actually, from what we gathered, was headed back towards uh, the Washington area. <laughs> now, that one was, they, they, of course, they brought in the, the black helicopters and everything for him. Uh, landed him right there on the side of the highway, picked him up, and it's gone. And then Moore was just a, another cop with his lights on. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, bye, guys. Holy yeah, it's kind of, yeah, that's how it went, yeah. That's like crazy. they probably stuck you with the paperwork though. Oh hey, don't forget, don't. don't forget, do your reports, kid. <laughs> yeah, I got the paperwork. <laughs> uh so um within doing because I mean when people think about guys uh, like the state agencies that you're in, or is it the other ones? Because every state has one, they don't really think about you guys dealing with terrorists like we think about like the giant cities, like Eric said, Boston. New York City, all those places dealing with them. And then it's usually just the special investigations guys or, um, you know, like SRT and SWAT teams and whatever else. But I don't think just normal interdiction guys dealing with a piece of shit Toyota on the side of the road is going to find a fucking ISIS. Yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, that's a crazy story. What um, in the uh, grand scheme of things, um, how often does that kind of stuff happen? I mean, that has to be a pretty fairly... I would say, I assume a rare occurrence. That one right there, that's, that's fairly rare. Uh, I think it probably is more common than what people think, especially here in Oklahoma. I've told family and friends before that if you knew what was traveling up and down 44, 35 and 40 across the state, you would feel even more unsafe sometimes in what you do. The mask that you're wearing would be the least of your worries, you know, so, <laughs> I tell them that because we run into all kinds of stuff out there, but yeah, that's, that's fairly, you know, every couple of years, maybe at the most, maybe once a year, we run into something like that. And I think what people have to remember is when you're dealing with any type of criminal organization, be it terrorist or uh, major DTOs, major drug organizations, they have to get, go somewhere and they have to get there. And that's what makes your nation's highways and these little side to farm market roads. So, uh, so attracted to them because they got to do it somehow and they can't fly most of the time. Yeah, true. They're on the, on the list. So where we're at, where Ohio is, you know, we're in the Eastern part of the United States. So for us, it's pretty common that dope goes East and money goes West where Oklahoma is granted. You're more in the South, but you're like in the middle of the country. What do you see over that way? You know, it, when I first got out there, it was like what you said, dope goes East, money goes West, really no, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. The last five, six years, it's really changed. Oklahoma has, instead of becoming a distribution hub, it has become a center. Uh, we have pretty much every cartel that you can think of operating out of Oklahoma City and Tulsa. You have them in the rural areas. And now, not only are they bringing it in and dis 
just distributing it, but we're seeing drugs going back south. We're seeing it going back west. It's kind of weird. Uh, we're seeing it come in. Sometimes uh, we'll pick off a load, and it's so vast and so big that we know there's no way they're supplying this right here in Oklahoma City. And then come to find out, once we do further, you know, do a further investigation on it, that's some of the same drugs that I was catching last month going back west for some reason. Might have been going back to Albuquerque or Amarillo. It's it's really weird how things have changed up so much. And I think the more you see states legalizing marijuana and stuff like that, where they can do some cover loads and make it look like they're transporting legally, you're going to see more and more of that. I really do. One uh, thing, so being from here and growing up here, like it's just been a, like, I just kind of accept the fact, you know, everybody knows that Oklahoma um, was Indian territory and it's, you know, it's a, <clears throat> it's everyone knows like it's, it's a thing. Right. So um, there was a case recently, it was decided by the Supreme court the McGirt case uh, where they set a, uh, a rapist and a murderer free. Well, not free, but they determined that he was a native American arrested by uh sheriff's office um and tried in state court um and supreme court determined that that was a no-no and after that happened everyone freaked out around here um and then now like when i go to the hrd seminars we're out of out of oklahoma people are like how do you guys deal with that so um it, it's i guess it's fairly unique i know in the southwest like in new mexico and arizona they deal with it a lot um some places in florida too because they got a bunch of indian reservations there but most of oklahoma like where i'm sitting right now is now a reservation. Um, yeah. So talk a little bit about how that, like for those listening, so we have kind of like, we still have the federal jurisdiction, right? So we have all those guys. And we've got guys like Anthony, which are statewide, which is troopers. And we've we got troopers also. Then we have county and mm -hmm. then we have city, right? And then we have other municipalities. And we have also have stuff where like the universities, like oh, University of Oklahoma, OSU have their own. But we also have tribal nations that operate as independent uh, damn near countries now within the state yeah. of Oklahoma and they have their own law enforcement on top of that. So, and I've got dogs on tribal police departments. So talk about like that weird thing that happened and what's happened since then. Yeah. You know, again, it's, I'll preempt that with, you know, to be in law enforcement, it's kind of weird because for something that changes and the dynamics change all the time based off of case law and, and, Everything that's going on in society right now, it changes in the blink of an eye. But yet when we see change, for the most part, I think cops either we ignore it like it's not happening or we all freak out. Uh, and I think that's another one of those things that happened here is we all kind of, you know, everyone wanted to freak out because everybody thought that one thing was going to happen. All that's happened is, yes, there was some lines that were crossed. There was some obviously some things that. Well, it was like a hundred years ago on a treaty or something like that. You know, it was it, crazy. It was a while. <laughs> yeah, it was a long time ago that caused yeah. this. Yeah. The, the big thing is they're not going to start setting people free or anything like that without trying them. They may end up having to go completely federal instead of state or local or something like that. Uh, it has not affected me much, except for a long time we we never went on to reservation property without permission or invitation and that's just the way it is and even then we always had to have one of their uh, federal officers with us with bia or something like that 
Now, if they're where you're at, where this is all happening, they've drawn those lines. Yep. Man, I, I know that, uh, man, there's some good hands up there with some of those tribes. You know, I know Patrick Williams and all those guys, they, I, it's not going to get any easier. I know that. No. Because <laughs> uh, there's a lot of good hands up there running dogs that are all tribal guys. Uh, I don't think much will change uh, for anybody, really. I think there's a lot of hopefuls, and most of those hopefuls, I think, probably have a criminal record. <laughs> yeah there's a there's a bunch of myths now like oh i can't be pulled over if i have a tribal tag i'm like I'm, yeah. yes you can <laughs> they yeah, yeah. or like now they're like oh i can go commit a murder and they're not gonna arrest me they can't detain me until the fbi or the bia or white horse shows up i'm like that i don't know <laughs> yeah not right. yeah not <laughs> wrong there too, i believe yeah. yeah i've heard all kinds of crazy shit recently i'm like that makes most of that's from alicia though because she's planning on killing you <laughs> well and she's it, setting up her defense and she is a native american she's a card but she's like i can do whatever i want now i'm like Let, let's <laughs> uh the, not really settle let's down buddy let's say you did and it's not so <laughs> so um aside from like you know obviously the serious aspects of like being an interdiction guy um funny shit happens too <laughs> so you end up seeing and getting involved with um a lot of people that um for lack of a better word better term they're just funny and shit happens like eric has some great stories about working in the drug unit um and how he always had to make sure he had ugly shoes on what was the story about the shoes eric oh they because we on. were buying crack so from the crack dealers you had to oh. burn your fingers and shitty shoes on you know that all that stuff uh one story that that everybody likes and i think will lead into kind of one of yours is we our unit was called vice so it was all vices and we had a problem and and i'm assuming it still is a problem in the park system in the city of canton where guys were going there and hooking up with other guys okay no whatever no big deal the problem is they're pulling their dicks out masturbating in their cars or blowing each other in their car in broad daylight, like with families walking around. So, so it's always a problem. It was the internet. They called it hook. Uh, they just called it um, crew cruises or something like that. I, I don't remember, but it, the, the parks became pretty well known and it was always a problem. So we had to, when you worked in the vice unit as the man, you had to go undercover in the parks, the guys would expose themselves and then you would arrest them. Yes. And the, <laughs> I saw more dicks than uh, a hooker. Uh, honestly, it was pretty bad. But uh, my buddy Joe and I, I hope Joe's listening too, because we're both pretty good at it. Um, our goal was always to try to make the surveillance guys laugh because we're wearing a, you know, wearing a wire. Make the guys in the van, see if I could see the van shaking from them laughing. And uh, we had one park that had a bathroom in it. And we put a, a guy out there in our, Task force who was a big like uh, he was number badge number two at his police department or his sheriff's office. Big, big. He goes, I'll, I'll take my fair shot at. OK. And he goes and uh, a guy kind of gives him a wink to the bathroom and he goes over to the bathroom. It's like one o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, the uh, he's a, I think he was an inspector or chief deputy. I forget. He goes walking over there and he's wearing a wire and. He, he looks in the bathroom and the guy's standing there and turn, is turning there and is jacking off. And uh, you hear, you hear Steve is the name. Steve goes, 
he he puts his hands on his hips like Superman. He's standing there and he goes, that's a nice cock you got there, mister. And uh, <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh, I, I think that's the bus sign, but that's fucking hilarious. <laughs> and we were dying. Oh. And he never, never broke, never laughed. That's a nice cock. So that's a nice cock you got there, mister, has been a, an, a joke for years <laughs> in my life. So um, do you have anything related to anything similar yeah 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 <laughs> uh I, there there's it's it's funny before i started did you find it harder because i've done some undercover work with our human trafficking and vice where we go out and we buy you know prostitutes or whatever is it if you, did you find that it was harder to buy sex than it was drugs yes they uh so we had to do you know setups with call girls and everything and pretend to you know, have a bachelor party or stuff like that. They were always super uh, on alert. Very much. But so, yeah. I had girls, uh, street hookers, offer me oral sex for a cigarette, uh, a ride. Um, girls, I busted three or four times. They, uh, you look familiar. I'm like, no, I don't. They're like, fuck it. I need twenty bucks. So come on. Um, but when it when it came to the sex stuff, they were. Uh, the, the girls were, uh, you know, like um, when, when they had to do like that type of stuff, they would always question it. Do the dope guys, I don't know. I had an informant that I used uh, who would cold call all the houses. And he always came back with dope. And he said, I just flashed them a little bit of corner of that $20 bill. And he goes, even when they're like, I don't really know you. He shows them a little bit of money. They get it every time. The sex stuff, street hookers were easy. The the uh, call girl, you know, back page type stuff was yeah difficult. The guys sure. though, piece of cake, fish in a barrel. They were just so, it, it was crazy. And that's that weird. That some, so comfortable saying that, right? And you asked if it was harder, and I thought that, was <laughs> fun that you said. <laughs> well, but anyways, what's your story? Uh, well, uh, one of the two that I think about when you we talk about that is I had, I was doing a pat down on some guys out on I-40. Uh, the older gentleman was in the front of my vehicle. So I'm patting down this young guy and he's, you know, uh, shoot, I'm going to say 19, 20, 21, somewhere in there. Maybe not, maybe not even that old now that I think about it. But with everything that was going down, we knew that, that we'd already found a weapon on one of them. Uh, so I'm patting down and he's standing, the wind's blowing really hard. He's got these big baggy shorts on and this shirt that's cut out way low with the way the sun was coming in, uh, and his shirt was blowing. I'm sitting there patting him down and it just blew around just right where I saw what he was, something he was hiding in the front of his shirt. So me thinking I was going to be slick. I'm like, okay, I'm going to play this nice and cool. And I'm going to let him know in just a second that I realize he's got a weapon or something. So I'm patting him down and right about the time I'm getting to his waistband, I just slide my hand inside that shirt because I've already seen it, which when I first saw it, I thought it was going to be a either a, a, we found one gun that was wrapped up in a sock and the other guy had uh, heroin wrapped up in a balloon. I thought it was going to be one of the two. Well, I run my hand in there and grabbed what I thought was going to be a sock or a balloon. And I was like, what's this? And I mean, when I say I grabbed it, I mean, I'm, it was like a big, you know, bear paw grab it. 
And let's just say it was not a sock, nor was it dope. Uh, it was weird. Uh, I Once I figured out what I had my hands on. <laughs> and the weird thing about it is, is this, this guy, he didn't even really flinch. He just kind of looked around at me like, what are you doing? And I've got a death grip on this thing. <laughs> now, I will say this. Uh, it was embarrassing. Uh, but I was completely impressed at the same time. I mean, it was how did, it was up above his shorts. What <laughs> did you know? So yeah, that was embarrassing. Uh, but I, that's not the only time something like that has happened. But uh, th- that one was probably the most embarrassing because I even had to look him right in the eye and tell him, "Well, this is really embarrassing." <laughs> <laughs> For the record, we never had to touch him. <laughs> had to look at him. Well, I, I thought that I was gonna uh, be the superstar on I forty that day and get this, and uh, I got something, but it was not illegal. Yeah, you got a baby's <laughs> arm, is what you got. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> look, it, it literally he looked like he probably had like a bald headed third grader between his legs. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty. Good. <laughs> All right, we got weird here for a minute. <laughs> So one of the one of the big things about your resume and about what your job is is we're going to just completely switch gears here is uh, is training, um, and one of the we you sent us one of the um, I, I don't even know if it ended up being a PowerPoint and a presentation you were putting in, and um, but I want to kind of talk about it because never really get into it too much on here. We talk about HRD. One of one of my favorite TED isms, and if you listen to this podcast or around TED a lot, he's got a lot. Of, funny sayings and um and i use it all the time with police dog trainers or police dog handlers and with pet owners i say their leashes are so important there's cave paintings of them and it's one of ted's sayings and it's brilliant and it usually strikes home with people when i'm reminding them to that they can hook that dog up so one of the big things that you talk about in your presentation when it comes to new handlers coming out of school and then how their leash handling skill set can go completely lead them down a path of like screwing their dog and changing the way the dog came out of training and ultimately altering their entire canine handling experience. Yeah. Um, Do you want, let's talk about that a little bit. I'm super fascinated by it. Sure. That's one of my biggest pet peeves. I probably think is because, uh, and I think some of it is it's, it has a direct correlation to my previous career when I was breaking horses and, and riding horses and training them for people. That leash is so much like a set of reins in your hand. You can feel every single thing that is going on with a horse just by holding on to that leaf, um, holding on to the reins. And it transferred to a dog, too. If you, if you don't, and, and that's basic leash handling skill, when you come out of your academy or your basic uh, school or your kennel, you know, some kennels will put on that week, two-week school six-week school, however, and you come back and you forget everything that you've been taught, one of the first things that I see guys doing is, you know, they get super lazy. Uh, they, they, it's like they forget that they even hooked onto a dog, and then there's no feel. It's like, and th- it sounds kind of, you know, almost Patrick Swayze Zen surfing type of thing, but I do feel like there is a lot of a lot of emotion, a lot of feelings run up and down that leash, and it goes both ways. And if you can't realize that, and if you can't work it on a basic level, 
and then you try to go to an advanced level, most of the time people will just unsnap the leash or they'll go, I've seen handlers show up and they've been working a six foot leash for 30 days. And now all of a sudden they want to go to a 20 footer and they couldn't work the six footer without getting tangled up. Whatever you progress that quick and you have not completely mastered the six foot and mastered the 20 foot and then move on uh, in that stage that you're supposed to move on to as far as being an advanced handler and advanced trainer or whatever you want to call it. There's just so many steps that are skipped. It will literally just put a damper on everything you're doing with your dog. Most of the things that I see, and for some reason it's weird, I get a lot of problem cases coming to me where guys will bring a dog home from a different agency. They got it, might've got it, you know, wherever. They bring it to me and almost, I'm going to say 80% of the stuff I see can be drilled right back to the first week, two weeks that they were handling the dog. And most of it is a skill set that had to do with beginning leash handling. And that's just me. I mean, I don't know how a lot of guys feel about it, but I'm a stickler when it comes to being able to handle your leash and your dog. Yeah. Um, and you make a good point in your presentation that, that that is typically not um, a problem with the training at, at the basic level, because every basic school I've ever heard of mine, Ted, everybody's leash, 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 leash. Yes. Is working leash so that it falls apart when they leave. Mm-hmm. We all have the guys in our training group. Um, I had a, he's a good friend of mine, Mark. I, I don't know if Mark listens to the podcast anymore, but Mark would, um, on certification stuff, he had an explosive, a dual purpose explosive dog, would always go off leash on the room hides. And he would say, I suck with the leash. I'm like, dude, you've been handling like eight years. But um, he would always go off leash. And the dog was a killer <clears throat> dog. I mean, he did great. But um, my thing is, so I'm teaching, you know, building green dogs to finish ready for a class. I am working them on imprinting on leash, on leash, on leash, on leash. I start letting them go off leash in rooms only just because it blows their hot, their hunt up. I think really takes it that next step, but then it's back to the leash and teaching the handler to let the dog hunt on leash. Yes. Do you see a lot of guys go into the, um, the off leash as their go-to as a crutch kind of? Absolutely. I think it's a crutch for two reasons. Either one, wherever, whatever agency that, or however they have to train. And sometimes it's just flat not their fault. They, nobody's ever showed them what they need to be able to do or how it feels on the end of the leash so that when you're working it properly, not only are you staying out of your dog's way, but you're helping that dog hunt and you're increasing that dog's prey drive. You're doing all these things that you should be doing that everybody has told you happens easier offline. Well, what happens is you take that guy that jumps offline and yeah, seemingly it is easier. Uh, The reason it's easier is because you are not in your dog's way anymore, especially if you can't handle your leash. So your dog does seemingly look like it's hunting better. Now you take that dog and put them in the right situations and they're going to fail you, whether you like it or not sometimes, because there's no way to help guide or help restrict what a high drive dog is doing and how much energy they're putting out. I've seen dogs uh, go into large areas, get cut off lead and didn't find a single find because they wear themselves out before they get there. There's no management of that drive and of that search. So 
I do see that as a crutch. Uh, some of them, and it's to me, if you just work on it and practice it, it's not because whatever anybody that has ever had anything to do with the dog, you've had a leash in your hand. Uh, from the time these dogs were puppies and were introduced to boxes, they started with the leash on their collar. This is something the dog is used to. We're not used to it. And sometimes we just want to, instead of working on ourselves, I feel like we want to jump that step and just cut them offline. Because working offline looks cool when it's done right. It's one thing it I, does sell dogs. Yeah. yeah. It's one thing that I always like when I have, and my handlers hear this, and I love you all. Um, but, you know, the first week of school, I'll text Eric pictures or I'll send him a text. I'm like, I'm in the first week of school and I want to fucking murder all these guys with you know, <laughs> double, double handling the fucking line. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> And I'm like, I just got to remember, I'm like, okay, <laughs> like they're not, yeah. so I, I'll send Eric pictures of them, like holding the long line, like all fucking cowboyed up. And I tell him all the time, I was like, you're not oh. a cowboy, drop the throw rest that of lasso that out, yeah. <laughs> throw the yeah. fucking lasso, get rid of that shit in your hand. Like, yeah, just, yeah, just let it go. I had yeah. a dude that was so bad that I had to hand him a Red Bull or coffee for his other hand. And I said, it was something he didn't like. I don't remember what it was, but I said, if you spill any of this, you're going to have to slam it right now. And so, and like, cause he just couldn't not use his other fucking hand. Like, I mean, it was just like, I, I finally was just like, I'm going to start hitting you with a fucking stick. If you don't like mm -hmm. just stop, like fucking stop. Yeah. Prod. And he finally figured it out. And, you know, now he's a great handler. He, he, he turned out to be a great handler. God bless. For like the first 10 or 15 days, I was like, Hey, you need to, fucking stop that especially the tracking uh, the tracking was just oh yeah i mean i get him you know, 30 feet out and he was just shit show it'll come with time if they put in the effort i i think the ones that really i see that just can jack it up like nobody's business are the ones that fall into that habit of come train run four cars go home put the dog in the kennel they don't look at them they don't work on their skill set and their craft and those are typically the ones that we'll start jumping those steps. And, you know, I've Lord, you know how that goes. We could tell stories for days about stuff like that. So. Yeah. yeah. They're oh, not yeah. the first ones at training. Nope. They're not the, they're the first ones. They're one of the last ones. They're not the first ones. Right. No, there. they're not the last ones to stay. Um, so there's kind of two schools that I see and I, I actually, I'll be honest with you. I do both of them um, based on the guy and I'm probably not, I'm probably doing a disservice to guys here and is um, so there's two, you're working a dog, maybe on a, in a room with a bunch of lockers and desks and everything. And the dog tip, if they're off lead, they do it a lot where they're going. They, it looks like they're sniffing. They see something that they want to go look at and they run and pass half the stuff. Mm -hmm. You end up having to come back, but they'll sometimes do that on leash. So there's two theories, one where you spin them right back in and start them back into it. And then there's another one where you switch hands with the leash and, and check back and pitch them back in the other way. I find now I can do the switch back and, and we all can, because we've done it a million times. We're super smooth with the leash, but I find a lot of guys that come to us. Handlers are uncoordinated, stiff as a board, not athletic at all. Um, it's just, I mean, they just didn't grow up that way. Maybe. Um, how do you, how do you approach like what's your style and how do you correct the, the guys that are walking fucking two by fours? 
Well, I probably my style is more of the that that switch back, change hands, let them ease into the end of it. I don't like putting a lot of pressure on a detection dog when they're moving fast, but I think that has come from my experience because I like high drive, high drive fast movers. So I learned how to slow them down a little bit to make them uh, sniff better and find smaller amount and minute amounts of dope easier was to do the switchback, the paintbrush style, I guess you could say. Now that's more my style. I also, I teach a lot of guys, you know, you mentioned when you're working and your dog kind of looks up and sees the squirrel, even if they don't see a squirrel or even if they're just wanting to pull me in a different direction, I call it the two strike method or whatever. If they do that two times in a row in that area, we're going to go see what they want to go look at. It may be a flower that they've never smelled before and that's okay. They're a dog, but I always make sure to remember exactly where I left off. So I guess it's kind of a, I'm not too rigid when it comes to younger dogs or even older dogs, really. I try to keep in mind that they are a dog and that what's happening between their ears has been happening for eons. And that's something that you can't change. You can learn to work with it and deal with it. As far as your leash work, some of the best ways I've seen to slow a really fast mover down is the back and forth. The big key there is don't let them hit the end of it real hard. Mm-hmm. The, the guys that are like two befores, just lots and lots of reps. And some of it, sometimes you just got to set them down. It's like, look, guy, this is supposed to be fun. This, this is fun. Stop being so stiff. Because as, as men and women and cops, we do not ever want to look subpar or below standard in front of any of our partners or any other cops or law enforcement officers. And I think that gets in our head sometimes at training. And that's why you see such a, a stiffening up of people, especially if they're new to the training group where they've never been through a course before. Uh, that's one of the big things I try to tell guys right off the bat is don't do that. Just relax, come out here, have fun. Everything you're doing runs down that line to that dog. And if you're stiff, I promise the dog is going to be stiff and tense. And then it just, man, it becomes a very bad day from there. Uh, and you're right. It's funny because I don't think I've ever seen a group of people and nothing against law enforcement. I, you know, I love all the guys that I work with, but just a bunch of two by fours, just <laughs> very stiff, uh, very A, B, C, D. And it's hard to get them to flow in between it and just kind of let things happen sometimes. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, I, I, I've said this off air to you Um if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. You should be using longer lines. If you, if you're always a six foot guy, great work a 10 or 12 foot in training over and over and over. I, when I'm doing tracking, when I'm teaching dogs in the kennel, I use a 50 foot leash because it keeps me um, up to speed on a 30. I get really good at that flipping that back end out away from the car tires and all that other stuff. I would never use a 50 foot leash on, on the street. But uh, I can rock a 30 or a 20 because of, you know, handling that long line. So I, I like to, and I do it the same thing with detection. I'll work a, a cumbersome pain in the ass 10, 10 or 12 foot line in a room or, or an impound lot full of cars just so that when I go to that six foot, I'm killing it. And I, I really try right. to emphasize that type of stuff with guys. Now, it's know. funny that you said that because that's a hard concept for me to get across to some guys that when I go, okay, we're going to work the six, then the 15, then the 20. But when you get to the 20, if you want to get really good at that 20, go to a 50. 
and you want to get really good at that six, work your 20 more. And it's hard to convey that to some people sometimes. Yeah, when uh, we're training green dogs, um, I use a six foot to go get the dog out of the kennel. Um, like I'll go down and grab him out of his run and I'll hook him up and then I'll use the six foot. But for everything, um, I either use a 15 or a 25. Uh, with knots tied in it at certain lengths and Travis does too he has I prefer biothane Travis prefers um, the flat nylon stuff uh, he has he has one from grayscale canine I think that he really likes he's mm -hmm. using a lot yeah grayscale's got nice stuff and um, but we both use I mean for everything like basic obedience for detection work for imprinting for everything and so handlers see that all the time like when we're handling and I have guys ask me all the time, they're like, well, where's your, you don't use a six foot? I'm like, not really. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't ever, and it's the same reason you said, like, if they want to go smell something, I let them go. I'm like, all right, well, you're super interested in that. Go over there and figure out there's nothing there and then come back and we'll pick up where we left off. Right. And, you know, I just make a mental inventory. Well, I tell my handlers all the time, I'm like, you know, you do be making a mental inventory of where he's been and where he hasn't, which is another point that I always, you know, kind of circling back to the uh, double and single blind stuff. At the beginning, like handlers, a lot of times are a hundred percent certain that there is something there, and they'll let that fucking dog walk back and forth. And I'll finally have to say, "Hey, how long do you want to let him do that before you don't see any change of behavior? Like, what more does he need to not do mm -hmm. to let you know that there's nothing there?" And they kind of look yeah. at me, and I'm like, "How much more?" I was like, "If you keep letting him do that, he's going to be like, well, fuck, there's got to be something here because my handler's not doing like he's clearly not letting me go anywhere else, so I must be missing it. So I'm just going to go ahead and solicit. Fuck it, give me my Absolutely. ball." <laughs> yeah. How long are you going to let him do that? And they look at me, and I'm like, "Move on. <laughs> like, there's nothing you know, I've there." Done, I've done training days where I, if we had a big enough area, there was a time last year where on one side of this great big. Uh, municipal building i actually put out hides on the other side i didn't put out a thing and all these cars were fresh they just been brought in uh, <laughs> and they had just sat in a yard that was uh, there was no doubt in my mind there was not any odor on them and you should have seen that show because there was probably 30 40 cars out there and yeah yeah needless to say they were not happy with me at that day because uh they man it was good watching you know, and then we finished up on the other side, of course. But yeah, they can talk them right into doing what they want to do. Some. Oh yeah, uh, I, I was gone. I think when I was in Salt Lake City, um, the last month, uh, Travis ran our training group here, and had <laughs> I don't exactly remember what happened, but he I, I read some of the training notes from it, and <laughs> even my experienced handlers were like, "What the fuck?" Uh, and Travis, <laughs> Travis had them all fucked up. And he was like, dude, all I did was put it in places or there was some places where it normally you know, has been in the past. And I don't think there was a whole lot of fines out, which was the problem. So he had him searching like 14 fucking cars and there was one fine. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And some of them were like, what the hell? You know, and the, so, the training but, note said this fucking guy. Yeah, no. I, is, yeah. <laughs> is Travis, is, does, has he done hides and stuff a lot before? Uh, he went through our trainer school. So and he was already a pretty accomplished trainer for detection stuff or for like bed bugs and stuff like that beforehand I got you. so he's he's pretty before he came through our trainer our police trainer school um at torchlight he uh and then once he finished we just hired him um and you know he's great uh, he's a the reason i ask is every once in a while i'll have somebody come in that they don't know dogs they've never been around them they're not the police and right. i'll have them walk along with me and where would you hide this and it's crazy where they think to hide stuff versus where I yeah. would normally. Have 
I've done that too with my mom. Like my mom has no fucking clue what I do. Right. Like she's just like, Oh, he's a dog trainer. And I'm like, yep, that's yep. So uh, there's been times when I've had dogs um, that are super clean right before we deliver them. And I say, Hey um, mom answer, like, tell me where you think the drugs are hidden. And you know, the dog goes and gives us a change of behavior and does the whole TFR and gives us a sit or whatever they're doing. And my mom's like, Oh, they're right there. I'm like, perfect. If she can figure it out, then I've she's a juror. Yeah. I mean, if my mom <laughs> can figure it out, dude, then I, the damn handler should be able to tell. So, <laughs> so I'm like, same thing with like my sister. <laughs> so I'm like, I text my sister. I'm like, Hey, if, if you don't know anything about this, but where do you think I hid these drugs? She's like, Oh, right there. So <laughs> I get nice. people that have no idea what the fuck they're looking at. So Anthony, um, doing all your the cleat stuff and everything you do do are there any upcoming seminars that you're teaching or is everything kind of shut down for a while or what's going on over there you know we've been even from the get-go when COVID hit uh we've been pretty much pretty steady hard at it we do several uh advanced courses there at OBN uh not next week but the week after I've got a basic course and then once the new year hits we're right back either I'm either working the road doing training or we have even more advanced courses than what we normally have in the past uh i think we've got maybe two basic courses for 2021 but the rest of them are all advanced or or something like that especially now since we've used to uh they didn't want us we several of us had always done dual purpose dogs and i've always uh handled them and trained them and all that but they never wanted us doing it at obn that our training group days so now you know we've got you know, anywhere between a dozen, two dozen, sometimes more than that guys showing up on Wednesday to do uh, dope and bite work. So it's keeping us pretty busy. That's good. How do people find that to sign up like handlers from say a guy from Texas? Ah, uh, they can go to the cleat website. Uh, that's where we put anything that is going to be on there for out of state people or in state people for that matter. Uh, we do do, well, I say we, the Bureau, uh, they will do some training. Like if there's a new interdiction group that needs some training, we'll do just a, uh, a seminar or a four or five day thing just for them. But everything you can find is on the Cleat website. That's amazing. Ted, uh, what happened today uh, with Working Dog Radio? Um, we released some new Black shirts. Black Friday. Yeah, oh, yeah, Black Friday. Everything's on sale. All the shirts and shit are on sale. Uh, 25% off, if I remember right. Yeah, it should be 25% off. And I, how long are we doing that for? I don't know, but we do. There are a lot of shirts, a lot yeah. of new designs. It's nuts. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's H, it's at the uh, it's at the website workingdogradio.com. Um, we have a bunch of the designs. I think all of them are up now too. We've been releasing like one a week or something. Uh, we have a couple more left. My favorite is the goose, one of the Gooseby ones, or the Gooseby one, and then uh, the Yankee Crank one. I think. Oh yeah, Yankee Crank is straight up trolling master trainers. <laughs> is what that shirt is. <laughs> That's it. It, yeah, it's awesome it's one of my yeah. one of my favorites that we've done uh yeah we if ted and i will have a couple of cocktails and then start texting t-shirt ideas in the group thread they work out good some of them yeah. don't ever make it to the sun <laughs> some of them don't make it to the light of day um for good reason um yeah and you know uh the gooseby one i like it's the you can't train or you get you can't train what is it the saying is you get you can't expect to uh, minivan training getting yeah, horse performance i think is yeah that's exactly what it is <laughs> fucking fantastic i mean he's you know lapd fucking canine handler and that dude's super squared away that entire unit is and he's fantastic and he said that during the interview i was like holy shit that's a fantastic idea 
Yeah, we're like, mark that down. Yeah, exactly. That's, so, that's, that's, um, speaking of training like a force, we got an HRD. The first one of the year um, is going to be in Oklahoma. It's going to be in Muskogee. Muskogee uh, PD is hosting us. So Bob um, and the kids over there are hosting us. Um, and we've got nine people signed up so far um, from four states already. So uh, assuming what, COVID what, doesn't. That many do you normally take? Um, the largest we've done have been Boston. When we were in Boston PD, we had 31. Uh, oh, my and, call was 32 or 33. Yeah, or maybe it was. I don't remember. Yeah. Um, and That's then, the most, though. That's well, the most no, we'll do. Salt Lake City had 33 or 4. Yeah, yeah. That they was had... a lot of fucking people. Wow. Yeah, so those are, on average, are usually 20-ish. Um, they usually like to shoot for 20 or so. Um when we have in the 30s it starts getting rough on decoys um the one in boston i did i added it up and over the three days i think we had a total of depending on how one of the scenarios depending on how brown hole went there was um close to 470 something bites between all the teams in all the scenarios so that's one thing eric and i are like really um like like we don't let them stand around like we're like get the go get a fucking dog like move 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 we have other scenarios set up for smaller ones that don't take as long while the long ones are running so nobody stands around a whole lot and then if you're done i usually have you come back and play cover guy or backup or something and you're integrated into some of the scenarios uh, as you're doing it but um january 11th and 13th is where the first one is going to be in yeah. Skokie, oklahoma so just south of me down down the hill yeah, and I think it's going to go forward. We've had a couple, you know, last minute cancellations with COVID, <clears throat> like groups that are like, yeah, we're in. And then the week before, they're like, we're out. Yeah, yeah. we're supposed loud. to be in Michigan next week. Well, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's next week or December. And uh, that was another one. It was going to be 30, 30 something teams. Um, I got rescheduled for November 2021. Yeah. So, uh, or Oakland County, Mich- Oakland County, Michigan, I think is what it was. Yeah. Oakland yeah. County. Yep. That's right um yeah unfortunately we're not going to go until uh, november now next year so uh yeah um yeah so click website um other than that where can we uh where can they keep find you anthony um you have social media to speak of or no uh, you know uh, i've got a like my own facebook and uh i actually the only reason i look at tiktok or anything like that is because i find some of the stuff really funny on there mm-hmm. I'm not a big social media guy. Uh, most of the outside training that I do, uh, I, and it, this isn't a cleat rule or anything like that, but I don't train, I don't bring in dogs myself and sell them to any Oklahoma departments. Being on the board and a certifier, I, I try not to do that. I will help people fix problems and stuff, but the dogs that I bring in or the dogs that I work for other people or start typically go back out of state. Uh, I guess call the Bureau of Narcotics. That's why the best way to Are you are you instructing at hits this year? Or well, whenever they have it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, am I going? Are you gonna you're instru- I thought you were instructing at hits. Are you not in yes, no? Or are you going? No, no, uh, uh the highway interdiction training specialist that hits is oh that one. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Uh planning on actually going if they have it, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Discuss it. Uh, we're then we're gonna be just in July this year for 2021 uh, or June. When yep. is it? July. July. Uh, yeah, you guys. Are, right? Yeah, yeah we're, we're instructing. Yeah, we're instructing. Yeah. We're doing the dog and pony show, the HRD thing. Uh, a lot of cussing. 
lot, <laughs> lots of cussing, a lot of videos, lots of videos of dogs biting people. Um, just one of mine included. Oh, there you go. Yeah, we got some more that we can put in there now too, since you don't work there anymore. Yeah, play the Willie video. Do I have a, I have a video from when I was a canine handler from my in-car camera. It's one of the best you'll ever see. <laughs> I had to wait till I retired to get it to play to it. The oh, I got you. Heard me. <laughs> the announcement is you heard it's me. It's in there now. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, Anthony, this has been awesome, and it's been one yeah. that I wanted to check off the list for quite a while. So, well, guys, I, I appreciate it. I hope I didn't bore you too much. Ah, been fantastic for sure. Yeah, you're funny. Yeah, <laughs> um, we possibly may name this episode uh, "Bald Headed Third Grader." <laughs> most likely <laughs> yeah. yeah that one's kind of haunted me for a while yeah. <laughs> yes right on all right guys till the next one excellent i thanks, appreciate guys. it thanks somebody that's been with us since the beginning of this entire program has been arno from alm equipment out in vegas Arno does a fantastic job making suits, tugs, and sleeves. Uh, one of our favorite things that we use at HRD is the hidden sleeve from Arno, and I've got multiple suits, and so does Travis. We use them at Kennel all the time. ALMK9Equipment.com is where you can find it. Be sure to use the discount code WDRADIO for 10% off your first order. Tripwire Operations Group, man, what a great group of guys. It's an internationally recognized leading provider of product services and training for federal, state, and local law enforcement agencies and military units. Tripwire Operations Group is an ATF licensed explosive materials manufacturer, importer, exporter, and dealer with a wide range of explosive products to offer, including custom kits. These kits are great for detection canine imprinting, and they have three different kits to choose from. The use of all three kits combined creates a complete explosive threat package for canine teams. Be sure to check them out. If you go there to pick up your explosives, they will let you blow some crap up. Check them out at tripwireops.org. Lastly, this music that you hear uh, has been graciously granted to be used by us by Brother Deeg. He's a fantastic artist out of Louisiana. Uh, guy does a magnificent job. He's been through Tulsa a couple times and I've seen him live. Be sure to hit him up at brotherdeeg.net, D-E-G-E.net, uh, or go to Apple iTunes or Spotify or wherever and download and buy CDs. Be sure to hit him up, buy some shirts and support the guy. The guy does a fantastic job and uh, he's a privateer kind of like we are. So brotherdeeg.net, D-E-G-E, hit him up. This episode and this entire series and this podcast is co-produced and co-owned by Alicia Brandt. You got your reasons, I got my wants. Still got that feeling, but I'm too Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother, D-E-G-E, dot blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Dog Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.